0: what's up guys connor ohanlon here for another episode of the con o show and today i am coming at you from the Koru real wellness studio here in doylestown pennsylvania and i'm going to be talking about what everyone should be talking about this week uh, at least that's what i think everyone should be talking about this week is the supreme court of the united states I've done an episode on this before. I did an episode on this about when uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away a few weeks ago. Um, But today is going to be a focus on the things that a 6-3 to majority court will limit uh, for the progressive movement and just the United States in general. Uh, It's not just limited to limiting the progressive movement. This is a uh, unprecedented amount of limitations that we will face for a plethora of different um, issues. So I have a list of issues on here that we're going to go over. I'm going to talk about some strategy that the Democrats took um, leading up to this and going through it. Um, I'm going, I'm going about it the viewpoint of the Democrats because obviously I am a Democrat, so I look at it strategically through the lens of how. I could have done it if I was in their position, or at least ideally. So, a lot of it's going to be about that. So, today we're going to dive straight into it. And we're going to talk about, obviously, uh, the third Donald Trump appointment to the Supreme Court, which is Amy Coney Barrett. She is a judge for the U.S. Court of Appeals in the Seventh Circuit. Um, So, she is already a federal judge. Judge, I believe she's only been a federal judge now for two years. Could be a little bit more than that. She's pretty young, which is good in a sense that it's good to have younger people engaged. She's not young, young, but it's also horrible because if she's approved, and let's be honest, if you, you're probably if you if you're watching this a couple weeks from now, you probably already know she's probably already going to be Supreme Court justice rather than federal judge uh these are enormous power grabs for the republican party and the conservative movement overall and um before i before i get into this a little bit more too i want to talk about the two constructs or two ideologies that form the united states supreme court interpretation so if you don't know you maybe you're not as politically engaged but you want to learn more uh The Supreme Court is supposed to be unbiased. All judges, all justices, all courts, in theory, in the abstract, are supposed to be unbiased arbiters of the law and interpreters of the Constitution when it comes to the Supreme Court. I'll get into why that's BS later a little bit more. (laughs) But then there becomes the divide on how you actually interpret the Constitution. So... The conservative line point uh, line of view is or they call it the original original interpretation originalists or uh, strictly you know constitutionalists whatever you want to call it uh, originalism is basically the way that you interpret the Constitution would be through the viewpoint of if you were one of the founders or say you were Alexander Hamilton or Thomas Jefferson whatever it is it's the viewpoint of someone that was a founding father of course of course that completely ignores the differing opinions of the founding fathers that completely disregards that the factions of all these different people some of them didn't want a constitution some of them wanted a constitution with more power with less power you know just the two the two i just mentioned Jefferson and Hamilton alone The differences between them are enormous. Enormous. They did everything in their power to stop Hamilton from becoming a president, basically, because of that. (laughs) So um, ignoring all of the history behind that, that is where the conservative viewpoint on the Supreme Court comes from in the originalist uh, interpretation of the Constitution. So it's supposed to be as written so interpreted. But that is not the only way to interpret something. Uh, The other way would be the living document uh, ideology, which is the one that I ascribe to. And I think that most people ascribe to when you ask them what they think about the Constitution. Because of course, when you talk about something like, let's just take free speech, which I'm going to dive into a little bit more later. But if you look at it, in the sense that, your freedom of speech is contingent upon the negative right that the government cannot stop you from utilizing your speech. That is protected by the federal government. Now, when we talk about something, let's say social media, how is the how is the government supposed to interpret the... First amendment when it applies to social media because it's a private it's tech they're technically private businesses um but there are people that argue that this is the new public forum well the constitution didn't know would never have known about social media and this sounds almost straw man ish i get it but there are there are countless examples of things that will never ever be addressed by a document that is so old it's impossible so the founders believed that it can be changed and that it should adapt and grow over time because they're not gods they were all majority of them christians to begin with so that would be blasphemous in their own religion to think that they were above a god so Obviously, they think that they're fallible as well, like everybody else. The same way that if I propose a system, any system has problems. And I will obviously admit that there are going to be problems with any sort of system that I propose, that you propose, anyone proposes. Anyone that denies that is denying reality. There's no, no, no perfect system. There is no perfect document either. So, when it comes to the governance of the country, we've had to amend it over 25 times. Uh, And (laughs) we haven't done it very recently. And 25, or it's not 25, I think it's 29, um, over the course of the United States history is not very many. But it still has changed and still had to change. Which then begs the question, how could you interpret all of the world's problems in the United States just through what is in that document, and the answer is you can't. You have to extrapolate what is in there and apply it logically to today, which is the living document ideology. Um, now I'll try to steal, man, some of the um, some of the originalist uh, points of view, but it's really really hard because to me, frankly, it makes no sense. So. Because we can't know what the founders were thinking unless they specifically wrote about it. And if, you, like if, if I just said, I speak for Alexander Hamilton, you would call me a crazy person. But because someone has the title of justice, it allows them to say, I speak for Thomas Jefferson. That is not the case. And we should reject that wholeheartedly. Um, we can't. I can't speak for President FDR. I can't speak for JFK. I can't speak for these people because they're not me. I can only say what my interpretation of things are. I can speak about what they talked about and how they wrote about things. But that is just how I want to lay out the preface to this right now. Now I think I'm going to start with uh, some of the issues of what the problem is with an Amy Coney Barrett becoming. Justice, and I want to preface that I actually don't think that necessarily um, she is, you know, quote unqualified or a bad person or uh, you know, t- there's there's a million different things, right? Her personally, and this is why I always kind of laugh. All a quick tangent here. I always kind of laugh about the Brett Kavanaugh um, hearing being extrapolated to this hearing they're like well the democrats are going to eat her alive like they did to you know Kavanaugh and and, and smear her and stuff like that no that was never going to happen nobody smeared neil gorsuch when he was become when he was trying to become justice neil gorsuch he's on the bench kavanaugh is on the bench and they're not they're not smearing amy coney barrett they never were going to it's not a personal attack when, when Brett Kavanaugh was accused of sexually assaulting someone. That's not a smear. It has to be played out because if you don't play it out, you have Clarence Thomas who got away with that kind of stuff. And we don't want to have a repeat of that. We're supposed to be a better society now than we were back then. So that is, put that aside for right now that will that she never was going to be treated the same as brett kavanaugh because she didn't do the things or she wasn't alleged to have done anything as heinous as brett kavanaugh now that comes with the caveat obviously that certain rulings dictate how people live their lives i mean there's i mean there's tons of what i'm going to go over here today that it, you might not think that the Supreme Court has had any impact directly on your life, but there are tons and tons and tons. So a conservative viewpoint or an originalist viewpoint is going to impact your life in a multitude of ways. So um, when it comes to Amy Coney Barrett, let's just go over. I have nine in particular or sorry, eight in particular that I want to go over. I'll probably probably find out more as I go along here but I have I have eight outline so we're gonna go first with reproductive rights that's the obvious one um and I think it's it's telling that they picked a woman I say they Donald Trump picked a woman because it gives him the cover that he needs to attack Roe v. Wade and attack reproductive rights and attack women's rights because women's rights and reproductive rights don't just stop at Roe v. Wade. We talk about birth control. That's another huge part of it. There are multitude of issues that can stem from this that sets the precedent, but if they undercut Roe v. Wade or if they just allow, so there's, uh, I watched Lindsey Graham uh, question Amy Coney Barrett And, uh, and I also think it's funny that you're trying to say ACB. I've heard multiple people say that trying to be like RBG, but I've heard, I heard, um, Lindsey Graham's questioning on this and he has a bill that is basically a further restriction beyond what Roe v. Wade establishes currently on abortion. And he basically was saying, uh, what would you rule on this? Would you rule on this right now? Would you say this stuff? And she basically said, no, of course not because it's, it's going to come to the Supreme court. Um, which basically is to say she, she basically, she did this multiple times where anything that has the potential of actually coming up in a future uh, court case or a, a court case that is going to come up soon. So the ACA per, per um, uh, Medicare uh, any like any of these 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 programs that have cases that are pending, uh, even gay marriage, she just flat out would not answer how her thought process would go, how she would rule, because she just said, "Well, it's going to come up before me, so I'll rule then," which is an unacceptable answer because you are being vetted to become a justice, so we need to know your thought process now. Of course, that's not going to happen because the Republicans have the votes, so it doesn't matter. That's it's <laughs> a lot. A lot of the hearing is just political theater. It's just you know a we're doing it because we have to, and we're going to show it that we're doing it because the election uh, matters. Based on this, and Donald Trump thinks it's going to matter to him to have another, and he's probably right to have another conservative justice on the court. Um, but when it comes to reproductive rights, his, his Lindsey Graham's bill was a 20 after 20 weeks, it's banned. And then of course, she's not going to say no to that. So then if it goes to 20 weeks, it's still legal. Um, or sorry, if it goes back to 20 weeks where it's still legal, then the next one's going to be, how about 15 weeks and how about 10 weeks and then how about, Uh, five weeks or whatever it is I know that sounds like a slippery slope but it's really not because they're they've proposed and I say they the Republicans certain Republicans have proposed heartbeat bills so basically at the inception of a baby if you have a miscarriage you have to have like a funeral for it you have to do all the processions that a normal like if just a normal person died you have to have that I I am almost at a loss of words because of how stupid that is just because of how insensitive and how misunderstanding they are when it comes to abortion or miscarriage. If you had a miscarriage, that is probably one of the worst. I I can only imagine the pain that you'd have to go through uh, emotionally as a family and as a person alone and then to have to be forced for, you know, whenever it, it, it might happen to be forced to have a funeral or to have some sort of ceremony because these old white men, that's what they think is necessary. They're LARPing. They don't care. That is how they get votes. It's sad. But again, this is one part of it. We would be lucky if they didn't touch that at all, but they're going to. With a six to three, that means even one of them can go unscathed when they vote against, you know, President Ted Cruz or President Tom Cotton. Because this is not, necess- this is a long term process. This is not a 2021, it's gone. It could be, but we don't know that. But it might make it, it might not. Then we talk about birth control, which is I, I'm I can I'll tie this to the reproductive rights here, but it also goes with workers' rights because then you'll be denied, you could be denied, uh, and again this also goes with healthcare. It's it's obvious how these things overlap, but when when you talk about birth control, now they're going to be like, okay, we don't we morally object to a woman's right to having birth control covered by our health insurance that we provide as an employer so boohoo go cry about it that's what that's what's going to happen and then it gets say it gets appealed all the way up and then they're going to rule and stare decisis which is the Word, the Latin word I couldn't remember last time I talked about the uh, Supreme Court, which is just basically a fancy Latin term to say precedent. So that precedent and the supremacy clause that says the Supreme Court rules over all the other courts and it sets laws through common law. This is how it works. So if the Supreme Court says, "Yep, sorry, they don't, they don't have to cover that," then, sorry, you're you SOL. That's the way that the, that's quite. That's the way it's going to roll unless then you get the legislature to pass a law that says it is legal. And then that law can still be challenged to the Supreme Court. So you see that this is such a long term process. We we just it's it's just clear why that the younger justices now. Hold so much power. You talk about Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. And Gorsuch isn't young, young, but he's young enough that he's going to be on there until I have, you know, kids that are my age. It's insane. But that is just one of the issues at hand. That's one. And I'm going to go through the rest of these ones that I have on here, but I just want to point out... I can't even possibly scratch the surface on how many rulings that will be done with a six to three vote. I can't emphasize it enough. I view the. I am a an electoral person. I like elections. I like democracy. This is not democratic. This is not democratic nine people get to choose this ignoring the fact that okay maybe in congress it's okay what 400 something people at least it's more than nine and we voted for them it is crazy that this is what we are relegated to right now we'll move on to the next one which is another massive Massive, massive piece, and I, I lumped two things together because I, I I did I said civil rights, but I want to lump in LGBTQ plus rights because those rights are civil rights. We usually dis like when when discussing these things, we usually separate those two out, but LGBTQ rights are civil rights. It also applies to you know civil rights are for minority classes that haven't been protected in the history of our country so obviously the most important thing is the civil rights act of 1964 generally speaking at least it's it's the most important for civil rights um it's not always because let's say you're transgender the civil rights act did not apply to you as the original interpretation of the constitution would have applied to it because you know what did they know about trans people back then? They probably didn't know anything about them. And I'm pretty sure, uh, the original, uh, wording of the civil rights act was, um, age, religion, sex, and race and color. So they didn't talk about sexual orientation and they did not talk about gender because gender is not the same as sex. Uh, that's a whole nother thing, but gender is a social construct that usually ties to biological sex, but it doesn't have to. So, that's why transgender people were not protected under the Civil Rights Act. Um, but that, just the Civil Rights Act alone for just anti-discrimination laws, that is interpreted all the time. And I've had this argument, I've told you guys on the show before, had the argument with people about Civil Rights Act, and there are a ton of people that still don't believe in that law, and they think that free market capitalism will just sift it through. If you just let people do what they want, that's how it'll go. It'll just be like, no one's going to go to the racist shop, but th- we know that that's not true. We know that some, on some level, we have to have integration that is loosely enforceable. It doesn't have to be, you know, totally at the point of a gun. You have to go to this restaurant. You have to serve, like, whatever. You have to serve chicken nuggets. No, that's not what we're talking about. But to, de- to decide on something that is not a choice by someone if you if you are not going to serve someone based on their race, it is unacceptable. And yeah, I know that's authoritarian. But it is unacceptable. It is unacceptable to not serve someone because they are a Christian, because they are a Jewish, because they are a Muslim. It it doesn't matter in these the, like these things go beyond just you're not wearing a shirt or you're not wearing a mask because these Dunces don't understand that wearing a mask is a mandatable thing when you go into a private property. But saying that you have to be white is not. They're not close to the same thing. But these rights will be challenged because a lot of people don't think that those rights apply to all people. Because. One of the ways will be for the LGBTQ community. Um, Obergefell, which is the case that decided that gay marriage is legal, that is something that you, if you go to get married, uh, they can deny. Well, not right now, but in the future, possibly they could deny you for you know a cake or for a venue or f- or for you know driving like a you know uh, a limo or who knows. Maybe you maybe you have two people that are married right now, and then they have a funeral, but you can't go to the funeral because you know it's two gay people, and they refuse to serve two gay people, and that's you know that's the only one that they can. You, you, there's a million different things that could happen that could be interpreted from this, and the precedent that is set by the Supreme Court sets the law. It is it is unacceptable just on this one alone to allow a 6 to 3 majority because they will roll back civil rights. They will to what extent I don't know, but we barely can protect gay marriage right now. We barely can protect voting rights which is the next thing i'm going to talk about we can barely protect women's rights it is we are on the precipice of an avalanche a a global warming charged fire this is on it is I mean, you can tell I'm at a loss for words. I'm only done two of these because it is so crazy. I don't want to be alarmist, but like I said, I am an electoral. I am an electoralist. <laughs> I view things through elections and getting people that represent us to do things. We don't even have that option right now. I'm going to take a quick break and then I'm going to finish through the rest of this list and we're going to talk about some strategy after that. So if you guys are new to the channel here on YouTube, you're watching me here at the Koro Real Real Wellness Studio. I don't know why I can't ever say that correctly, but if you're watching me, uh, please hit that subscribe button down below. Hit the uh, thumbs up if you are enjoying this video. Leave a comment down below. On something that you've liked so far, or something that has, you know, made you a little angry, like I'm getting today. Uh, and then, otherwise, if you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please be sure to follow the show. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/theconoShow. You can follow me on Twitter at conohanlin. I will see you guys very soon. Welcome back to part two of the Con-O show. Um, Today, obviously, is a rant, is a absolute crazy unhinged rant (laughs) about the importance of the Supreme Court and the current hearing about Amy Coney Barrett. Um, Before I just go back right into the issues on this, I just want to emphasize that Amy Coney Barrett is not going to be a particular radical or a particular uh, noteworthy justice that you know stands out other than the fact that she is going to be the cement on the conservative lock on making the Supreme Court a bastion of republicanism. It is going to be a lockdown. So, this is why I'm not going over specific. I'm going to interject a little bit now of what she has said in questioning, like I have. But a lot of it is just sprinkled in because we don't need a, um, you know, crazy, crazy, you know, it doesn't have to be someone. I don't even want to compare her to some of these crazy people because she's not like those crazy, crazy people. She just has the different ideology and one that is not supposed to be represented in replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg if you want to go by precedent, which the precedent is out the window. But the next thing I want to cover is voting rights. And a lot of these things are rights, again, like I said. Um, so another little interjection about originalism here is that the right to vote is not guaranteed in the constitution we forget that I forget that but the constitution does not guarantee the right to vote that is criminal (laughs) Uh, the fact that that's not written in stone is crazy but it's not. So I want to talk about some stuff that stands out here. So uh, obviously the Voting Rights Act, uh, I've spoken about this before in previous episodes, but the Voting Rights Act was um, partially shot down. Part of it was shot down by the Supreme Court, which was the pre-clearance part of it. So a lot of the states formerly in the confederacy some of them not some of them are counties in say like the north maybe in new york or probably some in pennsylvania as well but some of them um well i mean all of them had to get pre-clearance for any sort of change towards their electoral uh process so let's just say here where i live in Doylestown, uh the process is okay. At the courthouse, you can go drop off a mailing ballot. Um, you can drop in your mailing mail-in ballot at the drop box, or now you can vote in person at the Board of Elections. But, or you can vote in um, actually at the polls, or vote by mail. So all of these are viable options. If you were in one of these counties or states that had to get pre-clearance, any sort of change to the systems that you wanted to make. Uh, for your election you would have to get pre-clearance from uh the, the federal government and that way it ensured that you had fair elections you weren't able to you know create a poll tax or create a uh, id law that would have disproportionately affected somebody but they know now once they got rid of it So the Supreme Court ruled against those parts. And now anybody, they can always, any state, any county, they can change their elections with no regard to the fair, equitable elections that are supposed to be happening for all people. Um, So what happens is you create voter ID laws to disproportionately affect um, minority communities, say the black community, which overwhelmingly votes for the Democratic Party. They disproportionately affect them by those voting laws because if you live in a city, they cut <laughs> they cut the DMVs because there's less people that drive proportionally. Uh, because more people have public transit in the city. So if you don't have a car and use the public transit and you don't have access to the DMV, you can't get a license. And if you can't get a license, it gets much harder to get a picture ID now of course they know what they're doing it it is open that they know with pinpoint precision what they're doing now it still affects white people it still does but it just disproportionately affects poor and black people because poor white people get affected by it black people get affected by it because they disproportionately live in the city Hispanic people get, get um get targeted by this. All of this is to say that the overwhelming majority of the Republican voters do not get affected because they live outside of the city. It's a trick. And and pff, let's not overlook. Young people can't even afford Cars Or can't even afford all this stuff. So you're totally disregarding them as well. Again, this is like a modern day Southern strategy, which I discussed in a past episode. All of this is pinpoint precision on who they're targeting. And of course, they just let it happen. Um, When she was asked about this, she said... She has the same philosophy as Antonin Scalia. And Antonin Scalia said that the Voting Rights Act was racial entitlement. Let that sink in. The Voting Rights Act that guaranteed fair elections for people, which it didn't even do that, but it was closer to doing that, He said it was racial entitlement. So when pressed on that, she couldn't say that she disagreed with him. She just said, well, his opinion is his opinion. My opinion is my opinion. Well, do you disagree with that? Well, she didn't answer. There is the answer. She doesn't care. So voting rights are in jeopardy again. Another, another group of uh rights that are in jeopardy just because of the supreme court now that's not just it with that but we're gonna move on just for the sake of brevity because of course (laughs) you can go on all day about these and especially if you had um you know if i had like a actual expert in one of these we could talk about it probably for hours individually but um i'm just trying to cover it all so we all have a broad understanding of what's going on here so The next one I have on here is climate change. Um, Now, of course, I've talked about this before, but the Republican Party at large, um, the voters are close to 50%, I think, at this point. I think it's 40 or so percent. Um, Don't quote me on that. Believe that it's man-made, or at least partially. But climate change, when it comes to uh, identifying threats to the world based on climate change. The Republican Party is the only major major party in the world of a developed nation that denies climate change existence. So when, when the party, when Donald Trump that said it's a Chinese hoax um, puts up a justice and when the vice president who the other day um, against Kamala Harris uh, could not say that it was man-made or that it was a threat, you obviously know where they stand when they're putting forth a justice. Um I didn't hear her question on it, so I may have missed it. But again, this is just a this is just the mortar to the brick that is solidifying that wall against what we need. So let's just talk about real quick the chevron deference precedent set by a case with chevron in it um chevron's a massive multi well I don't think it's multinational I think it's an american company either way it's a mult it's a huge huge multi million uh, dollar company and the precedent set by that case was when the when the congress passes a bill and it doesn't specifically state let's say what chemical can be in the water or how much of a chemical could be in the water. So let's talk about lead, right? Or, you know, even something that's actually not terrible for you in water like fluoride, right? If the bill does not specify exactly how much... The precedent says it defers to the federal authority that handles that type of thing. So, for another example, you could go to labor. And if you look at labor laws and it doesn't specifically say something, it defers to the Department of Labor. So, this one, a climate change, would defer to the EPA. The Republican Party doesn't believe in the EPA. So, that deferral to the epa is under question so if they get rid of the precedent that means to say that that bill has to state that you can only have x amount of lead allowed in the water okay what if it's not lead what if it's mercury okay it needs to have this much you can only have this much in the in that okay Now, what about fluoride? Okay, the coal will be about this much. You could see how this is. Because, guess what? Most of the people that are in Congress, they were lawyers. They were not scientists. I don't know if we have a single scientist in, in Congress. We might have one. But they're not scientists. They're not accountants. They're not Doctors, They're not. So like they can't be possibly well-rounded in everything. They're not union union bosses. They're not. You know, the list goes on. They don't have an unlimited knowledge pool. Now they have access to people that help them write the bills. But you cannot possibly. Like, okay, let's just say now I'm making uh, a new sports drink to compete with Gatorade. And the FDA says you can't have this, this, this in it. Well, Congress then passes a law that says, uh, actually, you can't, have, um, you can't have salt in it either. Okay. Well, what if I just make up a new chemical that's actually worse, but it's not stated in that? I have to wait now? Not me. My consumers then, because my consumers will just be buying it because, of course, it's the best sports product out there. But just say, like, I put creatine in, in all the sports drinks. That's probably not the best idea if people don't know that it's in it. So the FDA would then be default ban that. But that's not the case with this. It would be it would be <laughs> I have to be specific about every little thing. Now that might be an absc- an obscure one-off thing but when it comes to climate change you're talking about water and air and you're talking about your soil and your food supply because the soil and the air and the water all gets into your food and you consume the water and you consume all of that in an environment that might be on fire or it might be uh, having tornadoes or it might be having tsunamis basically i mean i i know the the it, like you know I could, what am I gonna say next? Sharknado? But like a lot of this stuff is real. It it is real. It doesn't even have to be an abstract thought. It's just we forget about it sometimes that it is. It is set by policy, and I've said it before. Everything is a policy choice. We can choose what we want to combat. But we're choosing not to do this, so the EPA will be strangled by this climate change. Let's also take all right. You you guys probably know uh, my big three for right now, at least uh, that I talk about a lot are well issues are wealth inequality, but. Policies are Medicare for all a green new deal and canceling of student loan debt. Those are the three that I like to just rattle off, right? The green new deal is dead in the water is dead in the water with a six to three majority. We do not have enough time to just sit around and do nothing. I think If you're listening to this, you probably agree with me. There's more certainty that climate change exists and is partially man-made than um, smoking causing lung cancer. So if you are with me, that should be concerning to you that the Green New Deal or anything like it will be shot down because of the Supreme Court. Now, we might get some... But until we can actually win over maybe 70% of people to support a bill, then it's not going to happen because the Supreme Court and anyone that can get the bill up to the Supreme Court will, the Supreme Court will shoot it down. So that's it for climate change. But man, it is, it's crazy that we have to rely on the charity basically of the Supreme Court not to shoot one of these things down next we'll go on to workers rights workers rights obviously can go on again for hours and hours and hours about the way that workers are treated in this country but the main case that I want to bring up is a case called Janice and I was going to say Jace which is like magic card not not what I'm talking about but Janice and not Janice Soprano. Uh, workers' rights based on unionization. So Janice was an undercutting of public sector unions, which basically said um, your membership dues are coerced speech um, because that 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 money is used to lobby and that money is basically speech. And, of course, that is precedented by the next talk topic I'm going to talk about, which is free speech which is Citizens United, which also set that precedent that money is speech. But if you believe that money is speech, then collecting dues to be part of a member to be a, a member of a union and that equals coerced speech to this case, which then says. In a ruling that you don't have to pay dues, you can't be forced to pay dues and, you know, they talk about different terminology, but everyone knows it as dues. You can't be forced to pay dues to uh, get the benefits of the union. So basically, you can get the benefits of the union if you have a union, which obviously they're trying to undercut by, by being underfunded. But you can still get the benefits and you have to still get the benefits even if you don't pay into your representation because you don't believe in For some reason, you wouldn't believe in lobbying for a higher wage for you, getting better healthcare for you, getting um, better retirement benefits for you. I mean, it's antithetical to all logic, but sometimes this system doesn't work on logic. It works on just, here's here's some BS argument, make a ruling on it. And that's how it worked, and it undercuts public sector unions in particular. And I want to... Uh, any 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 fans of the show know that I'm not the biggest uh, fan of Amazon. And Amazon is keeping a tight eye on their workers that are trying to unionize. And any hint of it, they will get rid of those people. So these cases are real. A case with Amazon could very easily go to the Supreme Court any point. And it doesn't have to be Amazon, but I just hate them. (laughs) So I want to bring them up and talk about how bad they are to their workers. Remember, do not shop at Amazon. Let's break them up. (laughs) But that's just that's just workers' rights in an abstract sense of unions. You know, there are a ton of different ways that this could affect workers' rights when it comes to again it overlaps with reproductive rights in your health care. It, it overlaps with civil rights and being make sure that there's no discri- discrimination for you. It overlaps with climate change and being like, okay, well, I need to be able to live where I work. Um, And if, and if you know, it's in a, inhabitable, then I can't live there. So all of this stuff interlaps. Um, obviously, that's a shorter version of workers' rights than I could possibly go into if I had, you know, some some union boss here to sit here and talk about it with all day. But really it's as clear as that they don't believe in unions. The Republicans don't believe in unions. There is no precedent in the constitution that says you, you have a right to a union. There probably should be. Now, if you want to talk about the 21st century economic bill of rights, and if I ever get to run for office again, and I want to force not force, I want to help people have the option to unionize. I don't want to force them to unionize. Although that would probably be in their benefit. I wouldn't want to force anybody to do that. Um, I I think that the the 21st century economic bill of rights, um, a friend of the show and a former uh, guest, Michelle Siegel, who is running for state Senate, has the rural bill of rights. All of these rights aren't necessarily guaranteed in the Constitution, but we can guarantee them to the citizens if we choose and we can guarantee them to the workers if we choose. It's working for the middle, middle class guy. It's working for the lower class guy. It's working for historically marginalized groups like the LGBTQ community, like people of color. These things add up and they all intersect. But we have to guarantee the rights through fighting, through electoralism, and through this judicial system now. It's always been like that, but we're, it is such an uphill battle right now. The next one is free speech. Uh, as I said, free speech is obviously hard to interpret when it comes to social media. Uh, that is one in and of itself hard um, when it's the public. Is it the private business's choice? Is it, you know, should we nationalize it? Whatever it is, um, you know, should we break them up? I mean, there's millions of different issues when it comes to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook anyway, so I don't know why I separated them out. They are all they all present their own problems when it comes to... Well, they all have their own problems, but specifically when it comes to freedom of speech. So now, I saw right before I came on air, and I saw that they're banning certain links on Twitter... Based on, I don't know, but whatever their guidelines are that deem something inappropriate or lying or they're not allowing that to be shared. So that is limiting freedom of speech, but it is a protect. It's not protected under the First Amendment. So that is just something that we have to remember, because when social media rises up in those cases, then we'll see. How things are interpreted. Can it be broken up? Can it be nationalized? Can uh, your speech be stifled on these social media outlets? You know, et cetera, et cetera. You know where I'm going with them. And then we get to the actual monumental, impactful case, Citizens United, which is one of the most heinous court cases to ever go into our court system. And it basically said that money is speech and you can have unlimited amounts of speech if you have unlimited amounts of money. And I know that sounds like cartoonish in a sense, but it's not. That's, that's the reality. Um If you're the Koch brothers, you can spend $1 billion in an election cycle, which they did in 2016. And I know there's only one left, but I'm just saying. Cook Brothers spent a billion, with a B, in one election cycle. You and I may never make, you know, a million dollars. Or two million dollars. Or three. If we're lucky, maybe we'll have ten million dollars over our lifetime. They spent a billion in a year on money that they will, it's just, it's just you know, throwing it away, but they know that they're getting an in, a, it's a return on investment for them. They wouldn't spend a billion if they didn't know they were going to get 10 billion, 100 billion, you know, over the I mean over the the whole their whole lifetimes a lot more than 1 billion dollars back. And they specifically get people elected that way because money helps people win. So, if you have If you have me and you have Jeff Bezos, which, you know, back on that Amazon grind against Jeff Bezos and Amazon, which he's probably a fine guy, but Amazon's not, but me and him, right? I, I mean, I'm currently, uh, not, I don't have that much money. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a billionaire. Me and him technically under the law have the same freedom of speech. But if he donates a billion dollars and I only have a hundred dollars to give, I don't think that that's equal. He's just a lot louder than me, I guess. Money is to buy things, to have influence, to buy property, to do whatever you want with, I guess. But when you're doing it in abnormally large amounts and hiding it and you're going way beyond the personal income cap of or sorry not personal income cap personal contribution cap of whatever it is $2000 or whatever by going through packs and going through this and that and all the loopholes again you and I can't do that but a pack can and if you just donate to the pack then who cares um that means their speech is m- worth more than yours, which means it's not free. It means it costs money. It means it costs a lot of money. Um, so I'm going to take another quick break here, um, and I will join you back here in part three again if you want to follow the show on facebook facebook.com slash the con o show you'll follow me on twitter at con ohanlon. hit the subscribe button on youtube uh i really appreciate it we can get to 500 subs you would be the best viewers ever and if you're listening on apple podcasts or on spotify please hit the follow button to follow the show so i'll see you guys really quickly Welcome back to part three of the Con O show. Uh, we're going to hop back right into some of these issues that we're going to be under attack from the Supreme Court. Um, so the next one is obviously one of the things that I take uh, a lot of passion into whenever we discuss it is um, healthcare. And I'm going to go over the three the three main you know, programs or pieces of legislation that are going to be under attack with an Amy Coney Barrett, six to three majority conservatives, um, to, you know, liberal. Um, the first one is the most apparent is the ACA and the ACA particularly, um, I'll lay this out. So I uh, should explain which one each each which program each one is. So the ACA was is Obamacare, if you don't know, and stands for the Affordable Care Act and the Patient Protection Act. Um, and the ACA is basically a mandate, which Donald Trump has got rid of the mandate. Um, not technically speaking. But it's there is no enforceable mandate right now, um, but it, it is a mandate to buy private insurance through a marketplace uh, that is, I guess, partially subsidized. Um, but it's also under threat. You when it was when it was created, the there was a fine if you didn't have insurance, which is regressive in many ways. Uh, it's obviously flawed as in it's still buying profit private profitable insurance sorry i couldn't spit that out but it's not it's not all bad um because a lot of the good things came with the patient protection part of this which was number 1 the ability to not be denied healthcare based on a pre-existing condition which I kind of forgot to mention earlier: being a woman is basically a pre-existing condition before the ACA. I kid you not, because if you were if you got pregnant at any point, that is a pre-existing condition. So if you had that, you could be denied. Well, if you had that, if you had gotten pregnant, you could have been denied healthcare based on a pre-existing condition. Now that, if you ask me, that is complete BS. The fact that a normal human function is considered a pre-existing condi- condition is absolutely ridiculous. The, our con- our congressional candidate, um, Christina Finello, has talked about this before the ACA. She was considered to have a pre-existing condition because she was pregnant. Now that's that's complete. It's completely asinine. Um. But also another huge part. If you're a young person, you're watching this, and you're under 26, like me, I'm 24. Uh, you could be on your parents' um insurance until the age of 26. Which I don't understand how that could be a bad thing. I don't think you should be, I don't think there really should be a cap, um, on when because there are plenty of people that probably might not ever be able to afford to be by themselves. Um, And having them in the risk pool because any sort of, so the way any insurance works is the more people you have in the risk pool, the average cost will go down because you'll have more people that are healthy or if you have, you know, car insurance, more people that are good drivers in there to pay for the people that are bad drivers or the people that, you know, have a breathing condition or have some, something that actually would have made their healthcare more expensive. And that's for private insurance. Now with public insurance like Medicare for all or any other thing like that is that everyone's in it. So everyone pays into the system and everyone can benefit from it. So that's why it makes sense for that. But the ACA is under attack. There is a uh, a court case that will come up probably right after Amy Coney Barrett's appointed. And then we'll see. How quickly the ACA gets shot down. There is no replacement. There is no guarantee for patient protections. And there is no guarantee for someone like me, maybe someone like you, to be allowed to stay on their parents' insurance until you're 26 if they get rid of it. There is no plan from the Republicans. None. The second one I want to cover real quick is Medicaid. Um, And this kind of groups in with Medicare. But Medicaid expansion was part of the ACA. Um, Medicaid they are looking to prove that medicaid expansion was unconstitutional under the aca so with the way medicaid was expanded to a certain threshold i forget what the exact number was but it was increased from a exer- certain percentage above poverty um because medicaid is generally speaking health care for people that can't afford to have health care um or if you're impover- impoverished um which still doesn't cover most people because there's a lot of people that still can't afford a normal standard of living that are not considered in poverty. Um, But, you know, that's another, again, another argument for Medicare for all. Um, But Medicaid is a good program that provides quality health care for people, but they want to prove that that is unconstitutional, the expansion of it. Which then dovetails into Medicare, which is probably the most, I, I would have to look it up, Um, And I don't have it offhand, but it's probably the most um, loved single program that has ever existed in our country. Maybe Social Security is better, but Medicare is uh, under attack because they want to, they're questioning whether or not it should even be legal to spend money on Medicare from the federal government standpoint. They asked Amy Coney Barrett about it. She didn't give an answer. Again, she didn't give an answer. So... They, they're, they're going to let her skirt by. They're going to try to privatize Medicare, and then you know, Grandpa and Grandma, sorry, no health care for you. Of course, the opposite comes when you when you actually want to legislate something. And you want to give Medicare for all to everyone. Uh, you know, th- this is th- Kamala Harris said it the best. Oh, sorry, I keep saying Kamala. Kamala Harris the other day in the VP debate said it best, where she said, "They're coming for you," because she's right. They're coming for your health care. They're coming for, you know, reproductive rights, civil rights, voting rights. They're coming for the, to worsen the environment, your workers' rights, your free speech, all of it. And Medicare is the next one on the chopping block after the ACA, which includes Medicaid expansion in it because every state could elect to expand it. It's based on your governor. The last individual issue I want to cover is guns. And, um, I'm not particularly a huge fan of guns, um, but you know, I think they're cool. But other than that, I don't think everyone should have, you know, an inalienable right to have one. Um, but that is the second amendment. If you interpret it the way that they say, um, now I'll bring the caveat that I think you should have the right to have a gun if you have a back you have a, go through a background check, you have a license and you have it insured. I think that's three reasonable things and then you can have a gun. But I don't think you should just have an an inal- an inalienable right to a firearm for no reason if you don't have a background check, if you don't have a license and if you don't have insurance and if you re- if, really if you don't have training for it either. But a lot of people won't do that either. Um, It is only due to the precedent set by the Supreme Court in a court case uh, from it's D.C. versus Heller. And the Heller case basically was decided to say that you can have a firearm no matter what, even if it has no, no regard for a militia, just because. And it was that case, and I believe it was in... Um, 2008, but I could be wrong. Um, I don't have it written down in front of me. Uh, but it was in the mid-2000s. And that is the case that basically says, you, we, the government has no reason to stop you. And of uh, again, this is, of course, why the originalist interpretation does not work and is complete BS when we talk about activist judges. And this is where I want to go with this. Activist judges... Are not just on the left. All of these judges are activist judges. All of them are biased, and the system is as biased as all of them combined. You know, it might be slightly left at some point. It might be slightly right at sometimes. And it might be far one way or the other, and it's going to be far right moving forward. Um, they, these, these quote activist judges are only framed on the left, but the left has never actually utilized the Supreme Court for genuine, huge, progressive change. Now, we've gotten gay marriage, and we've gotten uh, some voter rights, but other than that, I mean, what what en- enormous progressive changes come from this? I'll wait. <laughs> no, I won't. Um, none of them. Because you can't legislate Medicare for All through a Supreme Court. You just can't. But you can ban abortion through the Supreme Court you can do a lot of things like i just saw told you through the supreme court and the activist judges any judge can be considered an activist judge when they're deciding such important things and really you know the right's the only one that frames the left as it but all of them are activists in a sense they all have bias we cannot accept the, the framing that none of them are biased. They all have ideas. They all have philosophies. And they all have experiences that shape who they are. They're people. So we cannot keep saying like they're infallible. The system is as, is as solid as the people on it. And any system that is as undemocratic as a Supreme Court is going to be flawed because it does not represent the american people's viewpoint when it comes to climate change reproductive rights um health care i mean it doesn't even i mean the guns none of these things are actually reflected by the majority of people when the supreme court decides these things there are times when they are more progressive it's few and far between Very few and far between. But an undemocratic system like this is fundamentally... It is unsustainable the way that it's going. And now I'll just say some... We need to have some form of reform or... um, Like, reform might be just generous. I mean, like, it needs to be overwhelming change to the Supreme Court because it is not unbiased but if we wanted to act as the arbiter of justice then we need it to be as close to unbiased as it can be so if it has to be you know four four from the democratic uh, side four from the republican side and then the president gets to pick one every you know every four years and they retire you know you know in a clock like that then fine. I mean, I'm just spitballing here. But if if it's 6-3 and Joe Biden wins the election, he has to threaten to pack the court. The precedent is there. FDR threatened to pack the court, and the court changed. It didn't get packed, but the court changed. Because the threat was there if we don't fight and we don't fight on the same grounds as they are willing to fight then I don't know what to do um, other than just say that's it and I want to just emphasize now that the Democrats already have legitimized the process and that was kind of where I was going in the beginning I didn't realize how long I would be going about all the different issues but the Democrats legitimized the process by being there and not saying all of what I just said they hinted at some of it they've tried um I you know I get going I I, I've I've heard the arguments for both sides show up beat them up on the issues don't show up don't legitimize it I'm I, I kind of fall in the middle of it because I want them to be there but I really want them to emphasize the issues they didn't do that so now I feel like well they shouldn't have showed up but also, if they don't show up, then the Republicans just get to set the entire agenda. They get to set the entire framing, um, which is unacceptable as well. So you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, so you know, all of this is going on, and you know, Nancy Pelosi's getting whooped by Wolf Blitzer on public TV. I mean, I don't know what is going on, and <laughs> I mean, I do, but I'm. <laughs> it is hard to believe a lot of this stuff is real. Um, you know, Wolf Blitzer, the the most milk toast person I've ever heard on TV. If he's whooping you on TV, then we're in like the twilight zone or something. Cause that is not normal at all. Um, but the strategy going forward has to be speaking to reform, delegitimize the current process and talk about how it is a stolen seat. There. This seat, if this seat's not stolen, then Gorsuch's seat is stolen. One of them was stolen. Merrick Garland should be on there. And then maybe, maybe we can talk about this one being approved. If they didn't set the precedent that in an election year you cannot approve a Supreme Court justice. But they did. They're going to. They set the precedent. They broke the precedent. Because they don't care. And again, Why play on a a plane separate and try to be above and be morally superior when they are winning? So we, and I'm collectively saying as a Democrat, we have to fight. We cannot accept that it's over. We cannot accept that Medicare for All Green New Deal canceling student loan debt uh you know expansion of voter rights uh expansion of reproductive rights expansion of workers rights the rights to to work the public uh, sorry the 21st century economic bill of rights you know maybe michelle will pass the uh rural bill of rights all of this stuff we need to fight and be willing to lose but also we need to be willing to fight so we can win because the fight is is a major part of the process. And if we don't set the tone and we just give up, it's done. We can't win. But reforming the court has to be on the table. And I'm not necessarily just saying pack the court. But it is an option. And we have to say it's an option. And I get why Joe Biden's not saying it. I get that. Because it's just gonna it's just gonna rile up the the Trump Trump supporters, but they know. I mean, they know it's an p- option, but the Democrats don't want to do that. Nobody wants to just throw out the system. I don't want to even throw out the system. I, I admit it's broken, but I think if we can actually go through and fix some of it, rather than just throw it out, it's probably better. But look, I mean there's certain things that you're really pushing the boundaries on how far we can push people before the whole thing needs to be like basically thrown out and redone. I'm not advocating for that, but it's just how, how much, how much more do the American people, the working class, the middle class have to get and the the people impoverished need to get beaten up before we actually make some goddamn change. And fight. The Democrats are supposed to represent the working class people. I want to represent the working class people. When I represent the Democratic Party. I don't necessarily right now. But if I ever do. You know. I want to fight for. You. And the average person. Not the .01%. And the Supreme Court is going to fight for that .01%. And. They're going to fight everything that I've talked about in the show throughout the entire history of this show is impacted by the Supreme Court. So we have to take action. We got to fight. We got to be willing to lose again. I, I mean, I don't know how many times I've said we got to be willing to lose just in the history of this show. I mean, I've got like 28 episodes. I probably said it like a dozen times. if rocky didn't get in the get, didn't get in the uh ring to fight apollo creed he never would have lost but he also never would have been rocky right so we have to be in the game so with that being said i am about to sneeze oh yeah, sorry about that and um and I, with that being said, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. Um, really appreciate you guys if you made it this far. And this is a long one for just a solo act today. Um, again, I'll thank Colin for letting me use the studio here at KORU Real Wellness. Uh, and if you guys enjoy the show, please follow the show on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Show. Follow me on Twitter, Con O'Hanlon. You can Hit that subscribe button on YouTube. I'd really, really appreciate it if we can hit 500 subscribers. Um, we're close. I don't know how close we are, but we are close. Hit the, th- hit the thumbs up. Leave a comment down below on any guests you would like to see or any topics you'd like to see in future episodes. Uh, obviously, I cover a lot of current events, so um, that is one thing. But if you want to see a specific larger idea explored, leave it down below. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate uh, all the interaction I've been getting on recent episodes. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, hit the follow button so you get updated when I upload on Fridays. Thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate you. I will see you next week. Peace.